So welcome to another episode of Optimize Your Body podcast. And I am here doing an Instagram live once again. So I'm going to answer some questions for anyone listening back to the podcast. I'm going to be answering questions from the audience. So thank you for writing in. And thank you for people on my Instagram for asking these questions. Some good ones here. Obviously, full transparency, I have to filter out the shit ones. Some people ask like questions which don't make any sense whatsoever, but that's fine because I've got rid of them. <laughs> now, nah, but um, for the most part, they're fantastic questions, uh, and we're going to get stuck in with this, right? So, basically, the first question I had, let's get right into it, okay? The first question I had from my audience was, uh, what benefits did I get from doing carnivore for a month? Now, if you don't know, I just basically did, uh, I eat an animal-based diet. Most people know this anyway, so I eat just meat and fruit primarily, but I actually went strict carnivore for a month, and my girlfriend did as well, uh, last month in March. And essentially what that means, I was just eating meat. So I ate a kilo of beef a day anyway, minimum. Beef liver, eggs. I was having ghee oil to cook my steak in. And I was also having beef tallow uh, to cook my food and to get my calories in. Essentially, that was pretty much all I was eating and some bone broth. And that was it for like three, three weeks to a month. And I actually felt a lot better to answer the question. So my sleep improved. I was sleeping better. And... Basically, my performance was, I mean, when you sleep better, right? When you improve your sleep, everything else improves. I noticed in jujitsu in the mornings, I was better, had more energy, more sustained energy. Mental clarity was better. All in all, my gut health was a little bit better, but it wasn't that much of a noticeable difference, to be honest, with gut health. And I just dropped weight as a side effect. Now, obviously, I'm not looking to drop weight, but it was quite handy because uh, I'm doing a jujitsu comp at the end of this month. And naturally, you know, my girlfriend will attest to this as well. You know, when you're eating strict carnivores, you're eating so much meat and you're eating, you know, very low carbohydrates, it's actually impossible to overeat. And for us, it was impossible not to drop weight, to be honest. Like it was just impossible because, you know, number one, it's blunting your appetite when you're eating all that protein. And number two, you stop having the desire to have those other foods, right? So you stop having the desire to have maybe sugar or processed foods when you're eating good quality animal sources, um, especially when you're having beef. I don't understand people personally who get bored of eating like steak or, you know, beef patties like I, I eat a lot of, basically like beef mince put into like a burger, but just having that with like salt and whatever else. Or, you know, even even ground beef when you have that and you cook it in gheol or melt some gheol onto it, uh, loads of salt, you know what I mean? Uh, and some eggs as well to moisten it up a bit. Like people who get bored of that, I don't understand it, but you know, the reality is you just didn't have, I didn't have the desire to even have fruit after a while. I was just like, and yeah, so the main benefits I would say was my sleep improved. That was number one. And then number two was, you know, I dropped weight for my jujitsu comp. So now I'm in the right weight class for my jujitsu comp. Fantastic. But that was just like a side effect. The other thing I would say is, well, is basically my, um, this is annoying. They've got someone doing work next door now with a bloody drill. Fantastic. Um, anyway. <laughs> I'll try and stay focused. But yeah, basically, also, uh, what else improved? You know, I just noticed my mental clarity. My performance was better. I had more sustained energy when I was doing jujitsu. But yeah, I would just say for anyone listening back to this or, or watching this, don't go from one extreme to another. You got to remember, I already eat animal-based, already eat meat and fruit. And for me, it wasn't very drastic. Uh, I wanted to do it to see how I felt. And now, because my sleep's so much better, and I started bringing fruit back in last week, and I noticed my sleep wasn't as good. I think that's simply because I'm just eating too many calories in the evening. Um, when I have my coconut yogurt and fruit and avocados, I'm probably having like an extra 700 calories or 1,000 calories. And even though I eat you know, at least three hours before bed, it, uh, I think it's impacting my sleep. I think that's what it's coming down to really. 
but yeah, also it just helps me detach from sugar as well. Even if, even though I only eat fruit and coconut yogurt, that's what I liked about it. So I've actually gone back to it now pretty much this week and I'll probably, you know, do it for the most part now um, and just kind of cycle my carbohydrates and stuff like that, you know? So awesome. Okay. So Chris has said, you can't hear the drill there. Now he stopped now. Anyway, I think it was just me. Hopefully it won't start up again now, but anyway, sod's law that, isn't it? You know, the second you do a podcast, someone gets a drill out, like, come on, mate, leave it out, will you? Um, so that were the kind of main benefits for me, really. But yeah, for anyone listening back to this, I mean, you know, it's, it's impossible to overeat, number one. Number two, you're going to get most, and I'm not going to promote this to everyone. I don't think everyone should do strict carnival forever. But I think most people, I've pretty much everyone are going to benefit from doing, you know, a small period of time where you just detach from eating processed foods and carbohydrates and just eat, you know, mainly the most nutrient-dense foods known to man, right? Which is steak, eggs. You know, maybe a bit of uh, butter if you can if you can tolerate that. Ghee oil, organ meat if you're going to eat those. Most people are not going to. Yeah, and just you know having plenty of salt with each meal is pretty straightforward as well. That's another good thing. So that's one of the big benefits is how simple it is, right? And how convenient it is. Simply just chucking beef and eggs on the pan. It's just easy. I mean, that's how I live anyway, right? With the meat and fruit, but it's just so much because when I used to prep veg and stuff like that as well, it was just a nightmare. Like prepping veg it takes a long time. So there were the main benefits. Uh, you know, that was a long answer, but uh, that was kind of, it was a lot that I got from it. And I wanted to give you some tips as well for the average person. So second question, this is kind of on the contrary now. I've been eating vegan uh, for a year, but I struggle to get protein in and to lose fat. Any suggestions? So with protein, first and foremost, if you eat in a fully plant-based diet, obviously it's very, very hard to hit protein. And the reality is you do need to have a protein powder effectively. Uh, to get enough protein in, but it's not just that. I mean, first and foremost, if you hit, if you have enough protein, then you're going to be okay for the most part, especially if you want to lose fat and the health and stuff. But it's more about the bioavailability. So when you're having plant-based foods, the bioavailability is not the same, right? So essentially, you are going to be not absorbing the protein the same, the amino acids and stuff. So it, that's a big thing as well. Unlike when you're eating meat, for example, you know, the bioavailability of the nutrients is just much, 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 much better. It's not even close. So that's a problem as well. But to hit protein, you are going to have to have a supplement. So you are going to most likely have to have a protein supplement to make sure you hit the number essentially. And then it's just, you know, being mindful of the types of protein that you're having. Because when it comes to vegan, like it's very complex. It's very hard. It's extremely hard. You have to be very planned, very organized to be able to have the combinations of food, because with a plant-based diet, you have to have a, a certain combination of foods if you want to make the proteins more bioavailable. And not only that, more importantly, to have the right balance of proteins, amino acids. Again, if you eat a steak, for example, you're getting the perfect amount of balance of proteins and amino acids and even fats. But when you're having vegan food, you have to have a certain combination of food, whether that be hemp seeds, rice and beans together. So you're getting a balance of the right proteins, right? Um, but simply just for the go back to the question, to actually hit the protein, what you want to focus on is just basically hitting the number, having a protein supplement to do that as well on top of the food you're eating. And then just being really mindful of the, you know, because a lot of people to hit their protein, they have to eat a lot of soy-based products, right? And obviously they're xenoestrogenic. So when you eat soybean-based uh, products like tofu, tempeh, those kind of things, if you're on a plant-based diet, the problem is you're gonna, you have to get you know, GMO-free and organic and everything else, but even then it's hit and miss. You know, soybean products basically are genetically modified. So then you're, you know, they, can, they can have a 
disrupt your endocrine uh, system and stuff like that and your hormones because there's xenoestrogens and all those kind of things. So it's just very complex when you're eating a vegan diet and it's very challenging. Is that to say you could thrive on a vegan diet? I mean, the reality is the majority of you are just not going to over time. You know, most people notice major deficiencies after a few years, but there's probably a, there's a tiny minority of people that could thrive long-term, but it's just not many, that's all. And you have to take supplements to get enough nutrients in. But that's a whole conversation. Going back to the question, that's what you need to do hit, to hit protein uh, and to lose fat. Again, if you're not hit, eating protein, and the likelihood is you're going to be getting the rest of your calories through you know fats and carbs and stuff, and then you're just much more likely to be overeating. So if you're under-eating protein continuously, you are going to be eat overeating calories, basically. It's just the way it goes. I've coached a lot of people. That's just the way it goes. So that's going to be you know tying into your problem with fat loss as well. And what you got to look at as well, when you're eating a vegan diet, if you're not having enough protein especially, then you're going to be making up for those extra calories with carbs and fats. And again, those kind of foods, when you're having a, a lot of carbohydrates, they just make you hungrier. Even if they're quote-unquote healthy carbohydrates and not processed, still spiking your blood sugar levels, still going to be hungry a few hours later. So that's going to kind of tie into that, really. Um, but then it's a, quite a broad question in terms of why you're not losing fat. I'd like to see you know how much movement you're doing, what kind of strength training you're doing. Uh, but the likelihood is that's going to be the answer. Not having enough protein, overeating calories for the most part. So third question we've got here. Um, like I say, I said at the start for everyone on IG, I'm going to try and stay on at the end for a little bit and jam with everyone and answer a couple of questions and stuff. So if you've got any questions, uh, you can just ask in the chat and I'll, I'll come back to it. Uh, nutrition or fitness or you know a training question training based questions or mindset next question is the best way to develop your abs it's a fantastic question now as they always say abs are made in the kitchen right so effectively losing body fat is going to be number one if you've got layers of fat covering your abs essentially you can do all the ab work in the world and the likelihood is you're not going to see any abs so first and foremost, you have to be lean enough. And this is a genetic thing as well, right? So for me, for example, I'm quite fortunate, I guess, in that sense. Obviously, you know, I put a lot of work in to develop my abs over the years. And obviously, I'm lean because of, again, the way I live and the way the work I put in over the years. But effectively, I could be at like a higher body fat percentage and still have our abs at a higher body fat percentage, where a lot of people are not that lucky. In fact, some people can get really lean and shredded and still not have good uh, prominent abs. So some of it comes down to genetics. But the main thing is you're going to have to be lean enough, first and foremost, to see your abs. Secondly, to actually develop your abs, going back to the question, you have to train them properly, right? Now, with the abs and the core, remember, the core is the hardest muscle group to connect to. So to actually work them properly, to work your abs properly and effectively, you have to train them with good technique and do them properly. You know, when I was face-to-face, -face, obviously, I don't do face-to-face -face PT anymore, but while I was doing that for over a decade, and what I noticed, the hardest muscle group for people to connect to was 100% the abdominals and the core. I would say 80% of people just didn't train abs properly, core properly. Uh, it's, it's very hard to connect to those muscles, long story short. Where I see a lot of people going wrong as well is I don't know why people do this, right? It's the dumbest thing ever. I don't know why, but people don't treat the abs, right? Like you would any other body part. So they're like, I don't know why you see all these this bullshit online, basically, like people doing lots of crunches and just dumb shit for the abs, which doesn't get you results and doesn't develop the abs. You need to treat your abs like any other muscle group. Get some weight involved, okay? But before you start bringing weight in, right? So for example, if you're doing a decline sit-up with a plate, right? Fantastic, because that's going to actually build your abs. And what happens when you build your abs like you would any other body part? 
is they actually become more prominent. So your body fat percentage could stay the same. For example, again, it can't be too high. If you're carrying an excessive amount of fat around your stomach, obviously you're not going to see abs regardless. But if you're relatively lean and you develop your abs and do it properly, you're actually going to see, and like I know a lot of females watching this probably don't want to see shredded abs. It doesn't work like that for most females, ladies. You know, your testosterone levels are not as high, et cetera, et cetera. But even by developing your abs, like I'm talking about now, you're just going to look way tighter around the midsection. You're going to see more definition, et cetera. So going back to what I was saying, decline sit-ups with weight, for example, once you've mastered a decline sit-up, going back to what I was saying with technique, you have to master the technique first, for example. Then, for example, you could start using weights, right? And using a plate and actually building your abdominals. Anyone, male or female, you need to do this. Like, again, females, you're not going to get popping six-pack abs. It doesn't work like that for women. But you're just going to notice more definition and more tighter abs just by building your abs. Um, they'll become more prominent, right? So that's a really good one, a decline setup uh, with a weight once you've mastered a decline setup. What I would do first though with this uh, movement is I would do it slow first with no weights. So as you lower yourself down onto the bench on the decline, by the way, I, saw, I see people asking questions here, hang about, I will answer them at the end. Basically, you know, go slow. So decline setup, go slow on the way down first with no weight, maybe three or four seconds. As you lower yourself down onto the bench, like from here, right? If anyone's listening back to the podcast, I'm just doing this weird thing with my hand, but just listen up. You want to go basically down nice and slow on the decline for like four seconds. So you, and you're really tensing your abs. As you're lowering yourself down to that decline, or you can just do this on a normal setup. A decline setup is quite advanced. Most people are not going to have strong enough abs to do this, even with body weight. But you can do this on a normal setup, just lying on the mat. Lower yourself down to the mat or the bench slowly for about four seconds, flexing the shit out of your abs as you're doing that, right? And then crunch up, sit up slowly, and then repeat. And when you're doing that, as you're decelerating down, like any exercise, basically, on the lower portion of the rep is when you're building the muscles effectively, uh, more so. That's what you want to do first. And then as you start getting stronger at that, let's say you can get to like 12 reps with perfect form and slow tempo, then you can get a plate and start adding weight. You know what I mean? Um, another exercise, hanging leg raises. Most, a lot of people can't do this because it's very advanced and you've got to hang from the bar, right? A lot of people just haven't got the arm strength to hang there. But when you can get to the, you know, if you can practice just doing like hanging from a bar, like at the start of your workout for a minute, for example, so you can get used to that uh, and then build up to doing a hanging leg raise where you're like ideally bringing your toes right up to the bar and then decelerating down slowly or just bringing your knees up to your chest, but really crunching your abs again. Have a look on my YouTube, Martin Silver Fitness. I've got great videos for all of these exercises. So shameless plug there. Anyway, if you're listening back to this on the podcast, Martin Silver Fitness, YouTube, subscribe. There's so much great content on there. And anyone on IG, make sure you go and check me out on YouTube. All these videos are on there. So I would say hanging leg raises, decline sit-up, or a normal proper a proper sit-up just on a mat, right, with your legs bent, feet underneath something to stop your, your feet coming up. And then what else will I say? And then a rotational movement then, like a uh, – I would say like a, a decline twist. So again, on, on, on a decline bench, tilt back, like sit up right like this, right? And then just twist from side to side with a plate. Again, you need weight uh, to be doing these things properly. So cut a long story short, best way to develop your abs is to train them properly. Abs are made in the kitchen. That is true. You need to get lean enough first to be able to see any type of ab abdominals. And then it's like doing your movements like your deadlifts and your squats and bracing your core properly when you're doing those movements. On a deadlift, drawing your belly button in towards your spine. So you're sucking in your stomach and you've got a tight midsection there to support your spine. But that's going to just like help with your abs a little bit and squatting properly with good form, bracing your core properly and just getting that activation there. So yeah, cut a long story short, that's why I would say the answer is to that. 
couple more questions, then I'm going to answer the few questions I've got here on IG Live. Uh, what have we got here? My body is not responding from the training I'm doing. I think I might be doing too much. Any suggestions? Yeah, this is a common problem. To be honest, let's use my client tribe as an example. Uh, optimize your body, right? Now, when I take people on, a lot of people are type A. Um, not, all, not always, but a lot of times, you know, they're okay with showing up in the gym. Uh, they love training. And that's not a problem for them. The problem is they are actually either they're pushing too hard. So they're doing too much volume per session or too much intensity, or they're simply not recovering properly. So they are pushing so much. What's up, Bobby? How you doing? <laughs> Just wanted to wave back to Bobby. What's going on? So yeah, basically going back to what we're saying there, you know, you, you, a lot of people are training too hard. They're pushing too hard. And effectively, I've said this before, but the bo their body is, is just trying to recover all the time instead of adapting to what they're doing. It's trying to recover, uh, which essentially means that the body is not going to respond or look as good because uh, adaptation is the key uh, for your body to respond. So this person here, they said they think they're doing too much. Obviously, I would probably need a bit more detail there. But for example, if you think you're doing too much, then the likelihood is you probably are because we're not stupid. We know our body. I would say, again, this a lot of people when it comes to strength training, for example, a common problem I see is people do too much volume per session. In other words, let's just say they're training legs. They'll go and do, I don't know, let's just say 21 sets on legs altogether, right? They might do like, I don't know, five or six different exercises, total sets, 21 sets. And then they won't train legs again for another week. Or they might do that twice in a week even, right? But they're doing so much volume per session that A, the body's probably got used to that because they've probably been doing it for years. B, they're not actually training the body parts frequently enough to actually get the body part to respond. And this goes for any body part, just training in general. So that's why, for example, you'll get better results. For example, rather than doing like, let's say an hour on legs once a week, if you were to do legs uh, 20 minutes, three times per week instead. So instead of doing your 21 sets in a session, you do seven sets on a Monday, for example, seven sets on a Wednesday, seven sets on a Friday. So the total amount of volume is the same, but it's spread out, right? Because you got to remember, the muscle building signal is going to die after about 48 hours, up to 72 hours max. Let's just say 48 hours. So then, you know, if you're not hitting the body part again for another week, that muscle building signals died and your body's not going to respond as well. So the other thing then is just like simply, like I said, hammering your body too much in the gym, too much volume. And the body really is just is trying to recover all the time. It's prioritizing recovery over adaptation, essentially. So you want to be doing the right dose of intensity per workout as well. But obviously, with your body not responding, there could be so many things. Obviously, it could be nutrition-related as well. It could be the two big rocks, which is very common, uh, sleep and stress. So obviously, if you're, not get, if you're not optimizing sleep, even one night's poor sleep right, is, is going to be a nightmare, no pun intended. Um, but even one night's poor sleep is going to affect the way your body responds, let alone if you're most people who are just not getting good sleep, period, right? The majority of people are sleep-deprived or they're not getting good quality sleep. Your body's simply not going to respond because that's the most important thing for recovery, right? Um, and then stress as well, going back to what we're saying, you know, if you're constantly training too hard in the gym or you're doing too, too much volume per session, or you're one of those type A personalities, or when you go to the gym, you go and you're like, I've got to do a good workout and really push myself every time. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's stupid having that mindset. I'll say it again. It's stupid going to the gym um, and looking at it like, I've got to push myself every time you, you know, you're going, you're just going to go against your body signals. Your body might be tired. It might need you might need to pull back for that session and not push as hard. And guess what? Your body doesn't give a shit about your results. All it cares about is recovery and survival. So if you push pushing when you should be pulling, good luck with that. You're not going to get anywhere. But the other thing then is just that stress bucket I always talk about, right? It's like, you know, imagine you've got a stress 
Yeah, I don't know if you've heard the stress bucket analogy, but if you've got like a bucket and it's got like a tap on the outside, which drains the water out of the bucket. Yeah. So you turn the tap on. Let's say the bucket's filling up with water. You turn the tap on, it drains the water out of the bucket, right? So, you know, at some point, the stress has got to be released, right? Uh, or it's got to drop. But if you're constantly pushing in the gym, for example, let's say you haven't had good sleep. Let's say you've got some stress going on with work or your personal life, whatever that is on top of that, then that stress bucket is filling up with water. And guess what will happen? If it keeps filling up, it's going to overflow. And essentially, when that bucket overflows, obviously, your body's not going to be responded, right? It's not going to look good when it's under too much stress. It's, it's kind of common sense, but it's very hard to actually be in tune with these signals. And I still go, don't get me wrong, when I said it's stupid, I only say that because I'm stupid and I do. <laughs> I still do it at times, right? I still push sometimes when I should be pulling back, you know, and cross the line a little bit. But it's very rare that I do do it now, right? So it's kind of a long-winded answer again, but you know, plenty of plenty of gems there for you anyway. So, um, all right, a couple of more quick questions, and I'm going to answer questions from people on IG Live. Uh, the other one I had here was, um, I've struggled with broken sleep for a year. Help! <laughs> uh, I like this question because it's like it's just relating to sleep, and again, it's very, 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 very complex when it comes to sleep. But long story short, there could be so many things, and I'm not a sleep expert, right? I just want to be clear here: I'm not a sleep expert, but I have put a lot of work in myself to optimize my sleep. And obviously I help all my clients with their sleep. You know what I mean? Because ultimately it's the most important thing. We always shine a light on it anyway and at least see uh, what their sleep is looking like. If you have broken sleep for a year, there could be so many things coming into this. Um, stress plays a huge part in this. So if you've got too much stress coming in once again, if you've got stuff going on even in the subconscious mind with stress, whether that be personal life, professional life, or some sort of fear, whatever that is, uh, that could subconsciously be impacting your sleep without you realizing it. So it could be some trauma or some shit going on in your mind, which subconsciously is breaking up your sleep. It could be so many things, but with broken sleep, you know, I always say to people, what really comes to mind is like blue light, avoiding blue light. Talked about this millions of times, but effectively, you know, if you're on your phone or your laptop and up until you go to bed, for example, and you're looking at that blue light, you know, good luck with that. Research now shows this as well. It's going to drastically drop your melatonin levels, which is the sleep-induced hormone for, uh, it's the sleep-induced hormone, basically. It's, it's the most important hormone for sleep quality, et cetera. Um, so it's going to drop your melatonin levels looking at those screens, and also it's going to, you know, keep your cortisol levels up higher, maybe adrenaline and stuff like that as well. So when you go to bed, you might not even be aware of this, to be honest, because you've been looking at screens. You don't know any different, right? Um, but if you stop looking at screens, you come away from, your phone and your laptop, particularly the TV is not ideal either, but it's not the same in terms of the amount of blue light emitted. So it's not as bad, but I would still say if you're watching any screen to have blue light blocker glasses, um, like I always talk about nighttime blue light blocker glasses with the orange lens, put them on if you're working on your laptop or, or you're looking at your phone, because that's going to block most of the blue light. But ultimately, regardless, even if you're wearing those glasses, come away from blue light at least 60 to 90 minutes, ideally two hours before bed, live by candlelight as well. So at least two hours before bed, you know, put the blue light blockers on at least three hours before bed and uh, nighttime ones, and then come away from your phone and electronics at least an hour to 90 minutes before bed. And then two to three hours before you go to sleep, live by candlelight. Or I use those red salt lamps, which are just as good, to be honest, because they have a red, red light has a common effect on the brain. Um, so I would do that in terms of broken sleep and see if that helps. The other thing then, it could be so many things. It could be caffeine related as well. Like, you know, cut caffeine off at least eight hours before bed as a rule, minimum because it's in your system for up to 12 hours, depending on how much you drink. Yeah, I don't know how much alcohol this person is drinking. Alcohol is one of the worst things for sleep. So you want to be given it at least an hour after every drink. 
um, before you go to bed. And I know this myself because I had a few drinks on the weekend for the first time in well the, of the whole year. And it screwed my sleep up, basically. Um, so I'm aware of that because I track it using the aura ring, right? But yeah, so alcohol, you got to give it at least an hour before every drink, before you go to bed. For, for example, the earlier you can cut your alcohol off, the better. Uh, ideally, just don't drink because that's going to be terrible for sleep. Then what was the other thing I was going to say then as well? I was going to say something else uh, in regards to broken sleep. Eating food as well, right? So if you can you know, cut your food off at least three hours before bed minimum, especially having, if you're having a big meal, give it at least three hours as a minimum. Uh, but I can keep going down the list. But they're the ones that really come to mind. But I would look at the stress as well, like what's going on mentally with your stress levels. You know, is there something going on subconsciously? Is there some stress on your mind which is causing you to wake up subconsciously? Um, so there's so many things there, but they're the things that come to mind anyway. Yeah. Thanks for uh, mentioning this, Carissa. Basically, Mellow. Mellow is a fantastic supplement. I should mention that as well whilst we're talking about supplements. But um, breath work as well before sleep, you know, um, do, doing at least five to 10 minutes is non-negotiable for me before I go to sleep. Uh, so five to 10 minutes of breath work in bed, calming your nervous system down, slowing your heart rate down has been proven to be fantastic for sleep quality. So just do 10 minutes, you know, listen to some meditation or YouTube or something like that to start you off if you don't do any of this stuff. And then basically do that before bed. But that's why I always talk about all these practices first, because supplements are great. Um, but ultimately, you've got to be calming your nervous system down intentionally, really. That's going to be the most important thing. Because all the supplements in the world, they're not going to help if you're, if you're not really practicing these things. Uh, well, they could help, but they're not going to be the answer. Um, but mellow. So magnesium, magnesium 3 and 8. Essentially, magnesium 3 and 8. Uh, sorry, magnesium glycine or glycinate or whatever it's called is the best for sleep, allegedly. Uh, but magnesium 3 and 8 can also help with sleep as well. And the, the supplement that Carissa mentioned there, I'm annoyed that you, they, they don't send it to Australia. It's an American company. I used to be able to get it sent here, but they don't import it anymore, which is annoying. It's a fantastic supplement. It's called Mellow, M-E-L-L-O. And the company is Ned. They're like a CBD company, I believe. But it's magnesium. It's got GABA. It's got, it's got what else in there? It's got um, L-theanine L, L in there. It's a great supplement. Uh, take that before bed. has a common effect as well. Uh, so yeah, I recommend magnesium glycinate. If you don't get that supplement, magnesium glycinate and threonate and L-theanine. Uh, that's a good concoction before bed. So yeah, that can help as well. But I would go order of priority and go in order of the stuff I've said there if you're, getting, if you're getting broken sleep. I'm not a sleep expert, but these things do work. All right, I think I'm just going to answer the questions on IG Live now because there's a couple more left, but uh, it might be a bit too long, to be honest. Uh, what have we got here? Is there any other... Yeah, I think I'm just going to leave that one there. Okay, I'm going to answer one more because I think this is a this is a helpful one in terms of someone said they're scared to increase their calories, but they want to build muscle. And this is a common psychological barrier. So, you know, reverse dieting or basically bulking and, and being in a calorie surplus, you've got to do it the right way. Like with my clients, for example, we make sure we do this strategically. So my clients are building muscle. Sometimes, you know, for the first three months, they're actually building muscle and losing fat uh, a lot of the time, actually. But essentially, we increase cal calories strategically. So we only we only increase calories slightly, and we do it with you know the right types of foods, more protein, etc. We look at food quality and everything else. Um, and then when they slowly increase calories, and they're following an expert kind of training program as well, obviously provided by us to optimize your body. And then they're basically you know doing things right as well in the gym. So they they're doing the stuff I mentioned earlier. They're training properly. Um, effectively, then they build muscle and they don't gain like because when you're if you look in the bulk, essentially, you you know, you want to be gaining in an ideal world. Like I say, it depends on where you're at in your journey. Some people build muscle, lose fat. Depends on where you're at in your journey. There's a lot of uh, variance here. But effectively, if you're just looking to bulk and add muscle, 
you should be gaining twice as much muscle on the scales as you are body fat. So that's why we track that a lot of the times, optimize your body. We track the body stats in terms of like um, body fat and how much lean muscle people are gaining and stuff uh, for the most part, because it is important to know that. But you know, with photos anyway, like to be honest, for us, photos don't lie anyway. Like for, you're not, you, you can't lie with a photo, right? Your body's responding or it's not. Um, but essentially, you should be gaining twice as much muscle on the scales as you are body fat. So in other words, if you gain a kilo of lean muscle, a kilo of lean body mass, you should only be gaining 0.5 kilos of fat, basically, right? So you're twice as much lean. And then your body fat percentage doesn't stay the same. or it's, It doesn't change, but it just stays roughly the same. Maybe it might go up a tiny bit. But essentially, if you look into bulk properly for a long period of time, that's kind of the sweet spot. And by the way, you don't actually see the fat. Like you look way better just by adding that amount of muscle to your body. You look way better aesthetically. Um, but yeah, the person said they're scared to increase their calories. Ultimately, you know, you probably want to just hire a coach. I'm going to be straight up with you because I had clients who signed up with me, for example, and they've been struggling for years and years and years just with that psychological barrier of uh, not increasing calories the right way. And you've got to be careful though as well as like increasing calories. The majority of people just get fat. I'm just going to be straight up. When they bulk, they just get fat. They gain a little bit of muscle and they just get soft and gain loads of body fat. And you just it's just terrible because you feel terrible um, you end up gaining a little bit of muscle, loads of fat, and you got to try and drop the fat. And most people just screw it up, if I'm going to be honest with you. So if you're scared, uh, you know, it's understandable in a sense because you don't want to be going down that path of gaining loads of body fat and not much muscle. Um, you're probably better off just hiring a coach for peace of mind so they can just check in with you, see photos every week or whatever, and give you peace of mind, not just for peace of mind. That's just one element, but then just so you can do it the right way and stop guessing uh, and get over that psychological barrier. You know what I mean? Uh, long story short. Um, otherwise, you know, it's kind of hard to get over that yourself. You can just go, yeah, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to increase calories. But, you know, what are you doing? Are you doing it the right way? What's your food quality like? What are your behaviors like around food? Uh, which body parts do you struggle with? You know what I mean? Like all these kind of things play a massive part. Uh, yeah, quality of calories really matter. That's why I said, yeah, quality of food is key, 100%. Because uh, if you're eating like shit and you just start increasing your calories, you're just going to get fat, essentially. All right, cool. Well, I'm going to answer these questions here. What have we got? BTJ 101. To gain new muscle for a 59-year-old female, what is target gram protein per kgs with near zero carbs? And do you use target goal weight or current weight? So first of all, to gain lean muscle for a 59-year-old female, I would say per kilo, you want to be going for, to play it safe, let's just round it off to two grams of protein per kilo of your total body weight, I would say. Yeah, so, you know, the research shows it should be a gram per kilo of lean body mass. So you can do that if you want to be kind of technical with it. But if I were you, just to play it safe, you could have so much protein and it not be a problem for the most part anyway. So if you have, you know, more protein than you need, then you know what? You're just probably not going to be as hungry. It's not normally going to be an issue. So, and your metabolism probably just going to work a little bit harder. You know, it's not really a bad thing. Um, so I would say to play it safe, have two grams of protein per kilo of your body weight. Um, I would aim for that and be consistent with that. 